Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the podcast for people who won't just take things on faith. This is Jeremy Bean, and coming up on the show, we have a great interview with Australian singer-songwriter Shelley Siegel. But first, I wanted to bring our listeners up to speed on some recent goings-on at Reasonable Doubts headquarters. No doubt you've noticed that it's been quite a while since we've released an episode. When we started this show nearly eight years ago, we said we were committed first and foremost to delivering well-researched and thoughtful discussions on some of the most important issues in philosophy and psychology of religion. So quality has always been more important for us than quantity. But quality takes a lot of work, so it's no surprise over the years our posts have tended to become more and more infrequent. The past couple of years in particular have been very difficult for us on the show. Uh, Lately, me and my fellow Doubtcasters have been juggling so much in our work and personal lives that it's been practically impossible to get into the studio. Uh, But it seems every couple of months we're making an announcement like this, and I'm sure it's getting tiring. Um, So we've been having an internal conversation here at the show about what we want to do with the podcast. A lot of options are on the table, but at the moment we've decided to continue making the show but we are considering some major changes to our format and even our lineup that we hope will make producing the show more sustainable over the long run. We're still hammering away at the details about how to do that, but our current goal is to resume recording by summer of 2015. So I just wanted to take this moment to explain to our listeners what's going on and just wanted to thank everybody for their support and patience. In the meantime... Uh, We will be posting some podcast extras, a few debates, hopefully, and some previously unreleased material like the interview we have today. In the summer of 2013, Dave and I had the treat of interviewing Australian singer-songwriter Shelley Siegel while she was touring North America, and she generously agreed to treat us to an in-studio performance of some of her songs that relate to atheism or feminism. It was actually one of my favorite interviews, and I'm pretty sure Dave would say it was one of his as well. Originally, we saved this interview so that it could be part of a much larger episode, spotlighting music with skeptical themes. But eventually, plans for that episode fell through, and sadly, we never aired our interview with Shelley. So today, we're correcting that mistake and sharing the entire interview with you, not just her beautiful music, but also some of the stories that inspired these songs. We hope you enjoy the interview and that you'll check out more of Siegel's music if you haven't already. You can go to doubtcast.org to find uh, links to her website. And please be sure to check the feed in the weeks to come for more content like this. And we'll see you again sometime this summer. Thanks. Joining us on the show today is Shelley Siegel. Shelley is a singer and songwriter from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, Shelley. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So, why don't you start off, Dave? As you can tell, Jeremy is, I'm not ready for this. Jeremy is terrified because Shelley is playing the guitar as we talk, which makes editing much more difficult. So, 
Um, but uh, uh, Shelley, now for our listeners who are not familiar with your work, uh, we should point out first off that you have the best accent we've ever had on the show being from Australia. Oh, thank you very much. Where, where, you're from – I didn't from, have to work hard for it. <laughs> no, no. I appreciate that. We Americans are easily impressed by uh, Well, anything accents. other than this this damn Midwestern with our flat vowels is, is a huge improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you're from Melbourne. Yes. Did, am I saying it correctly? Yeah, you're saying it correctly. No, great. I'm not. But okay, that's fine. You didn't say Melbourne. Yeah, so Melbourne. That's good. You, <laughs> okay, you're good. You're doing well. Um, and you were raised in a Jewish household, correct? Yeah, I, I was brought up um, in a, I guess they would describe themselves as traditionally Jewish hmm. household. Um, and so not particularly high level of, of observance, but, um, you know. Really, you didn't necessarily eat kosher all the time? Oh, uh, we, we Well, it, you know, it depends on your level of strictness. So mm. we I didn't eat non-kosher animals okay. and didn't eat non-kosher meat, but we didn't have the whole, you know, two sets of plates and cutlery right. and that kind of stuff. Keep the milk and uh, meat separate. Yeah. And, I remember when we were kids we had to do that. So, like, you have to wait several hours before you can eat meat mm-hmm. and milk. So, you know, you'd have maybe chicken for dinner and you're like, I want ice cream. Like, well, you have to wait six hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> because it says so in Leviticus. That's yeah. why. <laughs> no ice cream <laughs> until after. It, it is, And we've talked about this plenty of times on the show before too, the lengths that, that some Jewish people in particular will go to adhere to certain laws like we talked about the couple that lived in an apartment building where they had installed a uh, motion sensor light that would turn on when they left their house and they mm. sued their landlord because that meant when they left their house on the Sabbath, they were turning on a light inadvertently. <laughs> and it's just amazing the way they find the loopholes around and uh, wait six hours so you can have your ice cream. Mm. But I'm guessing your your family wasn't nearly that that strict. No, religiously. no. And, you know, it was funny. We While we were kind of like a more traditional Judaism than than really orthodox. We went to an orthodox synagogue every mm-hmm. week, which eventually my father became the president of, which he, he still is. Wow. Um, but I don't know. I shouldn't uh, you know rat him out really. But we used to <laughs> we used to drive to synagogue and to an orthodox synagogue. You're supposed to walk. Right, you know, right. so he would drive there and park and around the corner and hope no one sees, including God. You know, yeah, no, of course, no. Of course. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> And that means the the men and the women were separated. Yeah, absolutely. So the the synagogue that I went to is has gender segregation. So the women can't um, be involved in participating mm-hmm. in leading the service. They sorry, they can participate, but they can't lead the service. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed to read from the Old Testament, uh, which is kind of what the whole. Or the New is, Testament, because well, that's why not would in you? there. But, yeah. <laughs> but the whole service is kind of geared around the reading of the Old Testament, and, mm-hmm. and women aren't allowed to. And I've heard that the one of the reasons women aren't allowed to is because they may have a sudden discharge of blood, which would desanctify <laughs> the holiness. Like you're talking about aneurysms. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no me- menstruation. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the curse of Eve. Tragic. So there's that that concern that the whole synagogue might become unclean, or the the Torah, the Old Testament scrolls. But I'm not sure if that's true. I've heard that. Um, huh. But what I do know is, yeah, we used to the women have to sit upstairs, and if you couldn't make it upstairs, you know, if you were injured or elderly, yeah. um, you could sit up the back of the synagogue with a curtain in front of you. 
So you just couldn't see anything? Oh, you could see. It was like kind of a see-through curtain. Uh, I see. Again, one of those loopholes yeah. where you're behind a curtain, but it's a scrim, so you can see uh, see. You can out. see what's going on, but uh. you know, not tempting anybody. <laughs> so, so pretty pretty conservative background as far as the uh, synagogue you attended. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about life in your family, though? Uh, were were you guys strictly religious? I mean, did you adhere to? Were you taught, you know, a real traditional version Did you have of a bat mitzvah? Yeah, I, I had a bat mitzvah. I think, like, you know, medium level of observance. It's hard mm-hmm. to really draw a scale from <laughs> sure. the orthodox right. to, you know, a secular Jew that has no observance. Mm-hmm. Probably somewhere in the, the middle. We um, there was a lot of customs and traditions that we kept, and obviously we went to synagogue every week. And family's very involved. And I went to a Jewish school and grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, so. Uh, very kind of sheltered in terms of ideology mm-hmm. that you're exposed to. Uh, and the school that I went to was like a liberal Jewish mm-hmm. school, but we still had prayers in the morning in, right. in primary school. And So what broke you out of that sheltered environment? Well, the first time that I actually considered the fact that the biblical account of creation is not literally true mm-hmm. uh, was in biology class. In That's perfect year, place for it. Year eleven, <laughs> so eleventh grade. I don't know which year that we, is here. We you, speak Australian. Too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you guys are all that sophomore mm. and all that. Yep. You know, middle school. I don't know. Eleven. The interesting thing was because it was a religious school, I wouldn't have learned about evolution if I just if I hadn't taken biology as an elective. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so I was lucky in that way that I liked animals. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> yeah, I like animals. I'm going to study this. And, um, yeah, it was just a real awakening. And then probably from about ages of 16 to 19, I started to question things more. Um, I started dating a non-Jewish guy. <gasps> and, that, yeah, that was a really big That's deal. That's not kosher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was a really, really big source of conflict uh, at home. And he was actually an atheist. He was the first atheist that I'd met, and so that was your your first branching out of of your the Jewish culture that you were raised in. It was your neighborhood. It was your school. Yeah, you started dating. How did you even meet an atheist in that context? He had a lot of Jewish friends. Oh, okay. <laughs> fair enough. But um, I mean, we still had we had friends that weren't Jewish. But it was sure. the first time that I you know was really exposed to these kind of ideas. And he was great. He would argue with me. We'd sit up in the car arguing all night. I remember at one point going. Well, you can say that you don't have a soul, but you can't say that I don't have one and getting really upset. And eventually it became quite difficult at home and I moved in with him and his family and they were all atheists. They didn't really identify uh, strongly as such, but they were more just really practical people who were critical thinkers and and, uh, called things nonsense where they thought that was the correct term. And, yeah, it was really interesting being around them and being exposed to that and seeing these people who lived without God but were really warm, caring and, yeah, really beautiful family that welcomed me in. So I I really appreciated that. And while I didn't necessarily change my mind while I was living with them completely, mm-hmm. it definitely made me question a lot of things. Now, obviously, you've been performing or at least um, learning how to play instruments, sing, writing songs for quite some time now. Yeah. When did you start – because it's one thing to play music and to sing. When did you start writing your own songs? And then furthermore, when did you start writing like your album, um, an atheist album, which is a whole album of 
secular songs. At yeah. what point did those two ideas come together for you? Um, so they're quite far apart. <laughs> um, I started writing songs when I was 11 years old, um, which was also the same year I started performing live with my dad's Jewish wedding band. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a sitcom. Yeah. My dad, <laughs> live with my dad's Jewish wedding band. Australian <laughs> Jewish wedding band, which makes it even more charming. Yeah, we did a lot of bar mitzvahs and weddings and stuff, mm-hmm. and, and I loved it. I still I still love singing with them when I go home. I sometimes mm-hmm. do a wedding and stuff. Um, but yeah, so I started writing and... As a songwriter, I tend to write about my life experience and draw from that and what's going on in my life and what's significant to me, what I'm learning, conversations I'm having. Um, and then eventually, after I became an atheist, so I was probably about 19, the final you know, kick out of it was uh, seeing so many different worldviews when I traveled mm-hmm. and meeting so many different people and understanding that my own context is just as deserving of criticism as anybody else's narrative and so that kind of really really helped me to change my worldview and so I came home from traveling an atheist and I eventually started to become a secularist and a critical thinker and get involved in you know atheist community and literature and that kind of stuff and eventually joined a group called progressive atheists and Mm -hmm. started doing a bit of activism with them secular activism and working on campaigns and just having conversations about these issues and so in the same way that i would write you know maybe about my love life or uh, family when i was a kid suddenly Mm -hmm. these new influences were starting to come out in my music and I had you know, a few atheist theme songs and I thought, wouldn't it be great to just have a whole album that lets me get everything off my chest, <laughs> you know, and talks about all different topics under this one umbrella theme. And yeah, so I did that and I'm really glad that I did. And now you never have to sing about that stuff again. <laughs> well, I thought that that would be it. <laughs> I thought that would be it, but I, I've still written more yeah. songs since that album, so mm-hmm. I might have to make another one, the Secular yeah. Songbook or whatever. <laughs> and, and how has it been received so far? I mean, uh, have, have there been people who enjoyed your music and maybe were turned off to start hearing this more philosophical dimension to it? I definitely think some people find it affronting mm-hmm. but the majority of the response the overwhelming majority has been incredibly positive and very encouraging and a lot from the free thought atheist humanist <laughs> secular communities around the world just writing and saying how nice it is to hear their worldview reflected in song yeah yeah there, there really is a a deficit of this type of music out there i mean there are people who are doing it but it's hard to come by you have to kind of seek it out and yours i just got your album i'm sorry <laughs> uh, thank you i was listening to it on my way here actually and um it's really good music like, yeah it's that's the difference yeah. is it, <laughs> yeah. it is it is good music i mean i i sometimes usually when i'm told here's here's a musician and they're labeled as like an atheist or a skeptic musician right. my eyes start to roll i start to think okay so this is going to be church hymns converted into atheist yeah, hymns yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that mm. and was blown away you know pleasantly surprised like damn this is good music and others have definitely caught on too. But yes, you've collaborated with artists of some note, including Carl Cox, uh, yeah. the techno legend. What was the track that you guys collaborated uh, on? It was called Chemistry. Chemistry. I know Jeremy loves the techno. Anything 
electronic is his bag. I love the folk music. That's that's what the atheist album is primarily. Yeah. So to have that mixed with um, with techno, that's got to be something else. That uh, what I what I heard was pretty impressive, and I know that was one of those that was remixed quite a bit and uh, did quite well on the charts. And yeah, what an what an interesting experience. Do you have any new collaborations coming up? My last album, which I, I made since an atheist mm-hmm. album and released in March, is called Little March. Little March, and yes. uh, that was a collaboration with a U.S. guitarist called Adam Levy, who mm-hmm. is just yeah one of the best guitarists in the country. And he uh, has played with Nora Jones for several years. Wow. And um, you would have heard, 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 heard <laughs> well, you would have heard him playing like on mm. her songs on yeah, the radio. Sure. And he also played with Tracy Chapman. Wow. That's his. Smooth guitar on "Give Me One Reason" and that kind of wow. stuff. So, and he played on Arnie DeFranco's last record, which for me is the most exciting thing. Yes, the legendary Arnie <laughs> DeFranco. So, and and on top of just you know being very accomplished, he's the loveliest, one of the loveliest people I've ever had the pleasure to spend time with. And so, yeah, we we recorded this album, which is like really jazz influenced, but also has some folk and country and blues and. Uh, a little bit of a pop song in there as well. So it's wow. really diverse. It's just exciting to me to think that your career could be taking off. You're playing with all these exceptional musicians and everything. And you can just be out and open about your doubt and not have that ruin it. I think uh, it, in America, at least, I don't know what attitudes are like in Australia. But people are still frightened, I think, a lot of times in America to come out and make that public. They're afraid of what it will mean to their reputation. It's just... What we need is more musicians, more artists, mm-hmm. everyone being yeah. willing to Especially the talented talk about ones. these things. Well, the more people Especially do it, the talented ones. <laughs> yeah. the, more, yes. the more normalized mm-hmm. it is. And, and people, you know, some of people on my team and my family were a bit concerned about the name. You mm-hmm. know, okay, you can have this, you know, theme, but do you have to have the name? It's like, yes, I, I really want to make that step towards normalizing atheism and I also want to make that connection of art and creativity with Mm -hmm. atheism because you know people have this demonized image of atheists in their mind and it's not true we can be you know very fulfilled people that are creative and happy and make art and I, I think that's an important message. Now, uh, before we before we go to the music, uh, our listeners, if they haven't already already heard this, you guys need to check this out. Where can our listeners go to find more about your music and maybe purchase your album? Um, well, you can visit my website, which is shellysegal.com, Shelly with an E-Y and mm-hmm. Siegel, S-E-G-A-L. And we'll have a link at uh, doubtcast.org for oh, people to follow. Cool. And I also have like a Facebook page and Twitter and I just started Instagram, took one of my first photos of uh, Lake Michigan oh. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, yeah, you can buy my music on iTunes or Amazon, any kind of digital distributor. But actually, for anyone that's interested in supporting independent music, the best website to do that from, for me or any artist, is Bandcamp. Yeah, okay. Because um, iTunes take, I think, 40% or something, whereas Some, Bandcamp only take I'm 15%. Sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> iTunes, yeah, um, the markup. So support support independent music and support the uh, artists you hear here on Reasonable Doubts. So um, Justin, who's not here at the moment, Mm -hmm. uh, he came to the show last night and he asked me to do this song particularly. So he's so demanding. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm glad he's not here. (laughs) Justin Schieber. uh, Um, So this song is 
inspired by and dedicated to Christopher Hitchens, who was a really big influence on me when I was going through my change in worldview and uh, really taught me the value of thinking for myself. I tried to take some of the ideas that I heard from him and that I found very moving and, and put them in this song, which is about finding meaning in an inherently meaningless world. This is called Apocalyptic Love Song for Hitchens. One day the sun is going to die For us it means no more sunsets To the universe just one less star in the sky And almost all who ever lived Have already died Countless stories of love and war And hope and pain Now silently side by side And yes, I understand that my whole life Is just a blink of an eye In the history of the earth Is with each moment that goes by But this moment that I am with One billion years The oceans will dry While somehow life may continue It will not be known to you and I To think we are so important Is an obvious crime We know that we are specks On a tiny dot My whole life is just a blink of an eye And the history of the earth is with each moment that goes by But this moment that I am with you It feels like time has stood still It feels somehow like it matters And that it always will Yes, I understand that my whole life is just a of an eye in the history of the earth is with each moment that goes by but this moment that I'm with you it feels like time has stood still it feels somehow like it matters that it always will We're such big fans of the hitch here too. <laughs> Thank you. Aww. Another one of uh, your songs that I found myself really enjoying is Eve. Oh, thank uh, you. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. Jeez. And uh, Saved. Yeah. Oh. I, I wish... Uh, I got to hear a bunch of dirty songs that aren't on the <laughs> albums. <laughs> hey, hey, no. <laughs> Don't blow my cover. But I can't talk about those. Uh, we've got microphones now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll just edit that out. 
we just got a private concert here. We've never yeah, done I know. that before. I know. We've yeah, never, awesome. we've never gotten that on. This is the first time on the show. We've had musicians before, but we've never yeah. uh, never had a private concert in studio. No. So this is quite the treat. Do you think maybe we could ask one one more tune we from sure you? Can. I would, if you like Eve, I would love to play I, I love you an acoustic version because that's one of my favorite songs to play. My favorite way of playing this song is just on acoustic guitar and with my old man on the violin. And it's pretty amazing that he plays it with me, considering that, you know, he's the president of an Orthodox synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> I've coined a new phrase. I like to say that my parents love me more than they love God. <laughs> Take that, God. Shall <laughs> <Still> you want. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he actually accompanied me at the Global Atheist Convention oh, wow. last year for this so, song. And so, I mean, I, I guess... Speaking to that point, your parents are still very supportive of what you're doing, yeah, and that's incredibly. That's that's always wonderful awesome. to hear. Yeah. yeah, very very good that you can have your differences and still they they love you yeah. more than God. And uh, you know, some of those differences have changed. Uh, mm-hmm. Changed eventually. I think probably my dad's the last one <laughs> left. I said to him, "That's three down. You're the last one standing." And give him a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. <laughs> um, yeah, so so this is about this song is kind of what we were talking about before, you know, what it was like being a woman in Judaism and having to deal with these kind of um, different laws, these laws that define your gender and tell you who you are based on something that you can't help. Aside from having the gender segregation and are allowed to lead the service. There are a lot of prayers that you know are quite condescending. There was one prayer we used to say every morning in primary school um, where we had gender-segregated prayer in the mornings, even as children, and the boys would say this. There was a call-and-response prayer, and the boys would say, Dear God, in Hebrew, uh, thank you for not making me a woman. And then the girls would answer, Dear God, thank you for making me what I am. Oh, Wow. Some other laws, uh, you know, in Orthodox Judaism, women and men aren't allowed to touch. There's some kind of there's an extreme school near my suburb where I live, and they have, you know, these are little kids, but they, but they make sure that the boys and girls finish an hour separately so they don't, you know, run into each other on the way home. <laughs> wow. So you know, these people grow up with absolutely no experience of the opposite sex, and um, mm. it's uh, interesting. Another law is that an Orthodox man is not allowed to hear an unaccompanied woman's voice um, because it's too arousing. And so, uh, you know, there's a rabbi who's a good friend of our family who just can't come and hear me sing. Um, Wow. So, like, if you didn't have the guitar, that's fine. No, no, no. Sorry, it's just it's any to you know a solo singer, even if it's huh. with a whole band, it doesn't matter. Wow. I remember reading an article by the chief rabbi of the Commonwealth once who said that he snuck a listen to Celine Dion once or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, the one you're going with. Really <laughs> yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Hey, of uh, all the things to, <laughs> to sin against God to hear a woman's voice, he went for Celine Dion. I don't know. She's got <laughs> some she's pretty good. Yeah. She's, she's not bad. But, and, um, yeah, so, so um, this is a long intro to a song. Um, but... It's fascinating intro, though. Yeah. It's making me think I need to read more about these Orthodox communities because I I didn't had yeah, no idea. Certainly. They're very extreme, and you know, I grew up with quite a mild form of yeah. Judaism, mm-hmm. and these are my experiences. So imagine mm-hmm. what it would be like yeah. 
for someone who's in, in Jerusalem, and yeah. you could see where some of the tensions coming from. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so those were kind of my experiences as a young woman in Judaism, and then and there's a lot of that in this song. But then an, another inspiration was this video that I saw on YouTube, and it was a, a woman explaining why, according to New Testament scripture that women need to submit to their husbands and why women can't be teachers of men and they must be submissive and she was using her obviously good skills as a as a speaker and a teacher to keep other women in a state of submission and it was really striking it was really upsetting and um so you know that's kind of um in mind as well and yeah just talking about different old and new testament scriptures that define a woman role in society and in the home. So this is called Eve. The Bible tells me I was made for and from man And I must do for him everything that I can I must surrender to his will I must submit I can't make the household decisions Cause I am unfit It tells me my place With everlasting grace The Bible tells me I must be silent She can't hear my voice my role has been divinely defined And I have no other choice I, I may not be a teacher of man I must cover up my shame These are the laws of the one Who in vain I cannot name He tells me my place With everlasting has nothing to do with where I've been It is part of who I am It is because I corrupt man I was asking for it just by being a woman He tells me my place With everlasting grace I 
can't make the household decisions Cause I am unfit It tells me my place With everlasting grace Yeah, it tells me my place With everlasting Ah, oh, I love that song. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes, this thank you. Such it, a treat for us. <laughs> you have no idea. It's hard getting mad at the lyrics and liking the music. In this. <laughs> right, right. I know. I feel <laughs> cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I know. I was, I was like, I didn't know whether to smile, like like a smile, or wince, or frown, or what. Yeah, but I, I no, like powerful to sing song. It. Thank you. I like to sing it with like a sweet lyric, a sweet vocal because it's kind of a bit ironic you know yeah. but at the same time i'm getting angry so i like have to rein myself in and just have a balance <laughs> of both <laughs> uh love it um now i know we've got a you've got to get on the road you are all over the place right now right yeah. you're on your north american tour how do you do that all the time going back and forth from australia to america because that sounds awful uh, well <laughs> i actually have a superpower uh, which is the ability to sleep at any <laughs> moment. Like I could sleep right now. I, I have the exact <laughs> same ability. Oh, well, I you'll really be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Voluntary so. narcolepsy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I came to Michigan. I flew into Grand Rapids from uh, Seattle and it was three flights. Mm-hmm. So it was Seattle to oh, – I can't even remember where I went. Whatever. Somewhere was, Chicago. Yeah, Denver, somewhere, maybe to yeah, Chicago. Yeah, to, to Denver okay. and, then, and then Denver, Chicago, Chicago, Grand Rapids. And on every single one of those flights – I fell asleep before we took off, and I woke up after we landed. Yeah. And one, I had to be woken up. Nice. <laughs> so it makes traveling pretty easy. That's basically like your private time machine. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, here I am. Um, but yeah, so last night um, I played in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the Center for Inquiry? Yeah. Um, so they, they did a great job of setting up a show. And then tonight we're playing in Ann Arbor. Yeah, unfortunately, people won't be able to hear this before before you're there. But yeah. the people who were there will, uh, or the people with their own time machines, that's right, that's right. <laughs> can go back. Um, now, just before we we let you go, I wanted to ask you real quick about Australia because Australia has some phenomenal skeptical groups that mm. are doing some really good work. And then, of course, there's things like the recent election where they elected a new prime minister I mean, for the past for the past two days i've i've just watched her moods go up and down every time the australian elections were mentioned but continue with your question I'm not going home well i'm just no, no, no. um for those of us who don't live in australia and we do have a lot of listeners yes in we australia, actually have a sizable so uh, f- uh part of our fan base is since from we your finally area. have someone who can talk about australia intelligently do so and just let us know what's what's going on with well, the skeptical movement there and with the political stuff that we should know and care about? Yeah, so I think a, a question that I'm asked very often is, you know, what's the difference in terms of, like, the secular movements and, and that kind of stuff? And I think the main difference is that the religiosity of people, of communities and of politicians is much more overt here. Hmm. Like, we don't talk about religion in politics and um, it feels like a very secular country. I think at the last mm-hmm. census we were... 
sitting at 20 or 21 percent mm-hmm. atheists then the, the second biggest majority because the next was or not atheists but you know non religious people yeah. yeah and then like the biggest majority was 24 uh, percent who are catholic or identified as catholic and not necessarily practicing mm. um and so it, it's a it's a large percentage of the population and in that way, we don't we don't talk about it in politics. It's not that much in mainstream culture, and it's a very secular country, a very secular culture. And I think that that leads people to believe that there is not an issue with uh, mm-hmm. you know with secularism. We don't have to fight for anything. We don't need to raise awareness. It's secular. We we won. But that's actually not the case because there is a lot of religious lobbying. There's they have you know a lot of a lot of say. Um, and a lot of swing. Actually, our last Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, mm-hmm. who was an atheist, was going to be the keynote speaker at the Australian Christian Lobby's conference. <laughs> uh, and wow. Yeah. But actually, she pulled out which because they made some – the Jim Wallace, the head of the ACL, made these ridiculous comments about a gay lifestyle being more dangerous than smoking. And uh, <laughs> I, I was, you know, very happy after that she she pulled yeah. out mm-hmm. of, of that um, – of that speaking engagement. Um, so, you know, these people are highly connected in politics. They have a lot of swing because, you know, they still represent what politicians see as a large percentage of, mm-hmm. of the country, but it's just more behind the scenes. Um, we have And we have a separation of church and state in our constitution, but it's not... I don't think it's interpreted in, as the same way, the same way as it is here, which is, you know, like strong wall. In Australia, it's more like the state's not going to interfere in people's religions. Mm-hmm. So, but not necessarily the other way. We had a prime minister in 2007, John Howard, who was quite religious. And again, they don't they just don't talk about mm-hmm. these issues mm-hmm. really. But he brought in a program called the National School Chaplaincy Program. And um, that means basically that the government is using taxpayer dollars to put chaplains in the public school system. And so that would never fly here. You would never that would never mm-hmm. happen. Um, and that was a campaign that when I joined Progressive Atheists that we worked a lot on and tried to raise awareness about. But people don't really think it's that bad. But if you go on the website of this – so, so um, there is an organization who is not a church but they're a religious organization and they run the chaplaincy program and they work with the government and they take the money, they take the funds. Um, but they say clearly oh, – it's called Access Ministries. And Access – if you go on their website, it says clearly we are going to make soldiers for Christ out of our children and these are this is the people that the the government is working with and giving taxpayer dollars to and it's it's frustrating that nobody takes that as a serious issue and and it is and actually one gentleman um took that with a lot of community support took that to the high court um recently and uh it was you know a complicated outcome but it didn't end the program Mm. so we have Hmm. you know we have our own issues there. It it almost sounds like a parallel, you know, what you're describing now in Australia. It almost sounds like a parallel to America back in the late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. yeah, where people were starting to notice the rise of the religious right, but most most just thought, no, it's not a problem. Not a big deal. This is not, you know, go away. this is just a few fundamentalists. And before you knew it, overnight, suddenly people were like, where did all these, where did all these hard right 
wing and they've had the ear of theocrats the come ever from. Since. Well, that's I mean, it's scary. I'm here and I come home. I'm like, guys, guys, you don't want it to be like that. Right. <laughs> um, I would really like to move to Australia, except for two things: well, the spiders. Yeah. My wife has said absolutely no because there's spiders. <laughs> never seen and any deadly spiders. No, really, ever. Never oh, seen okay. Right. I've seen big spiders, but they can't kill you. They can't even. Yeah, that doesn't matter. My wife is terrified <laughs> of the tiny ones. And uh, and and the new Prime Minister uh, uh, Abbott, yeah, yeah. Tony yeah. Abbott, Tony Abbott. Well, that kind of puts the the takes the fun out of the idea of moving to Australia for the next few years. Yeah, I don't want to be so polarized as to say you know uh, the country's going to hell now. You oh, know, I sure, hope of no, but I, I feel that way. <laughs> um, it always feels that way after an election. That yeah, go your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think. That the part, hopefully, the party will kind of keep mm-hmm. him in line, and it mm-hmm. won't, and it won't be you know, drastic changes. But I mean, he has some amazing quotes about marriage equality. He's mm-hmm. not going to vote on marriage equality because it's a passing fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have marriage oh, equality yeah. in any states in yeah. Australia. There are mm-hmm. still states where abortion is not completely decriminalized. Even in my state, wow. um, Victoria, wow. it's like the most progressive state. Only. Only legalized abortion like three or four years ago now. Wow. wow. And they I, didn't, I had no huh. idea. And they still have these massive, you know, life, the pro-life rallies mm-hmm. where they bring busloads of Christians out from rural areas yeah. and they take up the whole city streets. So – and still protest outside abortion clinics. It's – um, yeah, it's something we, we should stay vigilant about. Well, and that's one thing that gives me hope is knowing that people like you and uh, many of your your friends, activists and thinkers and everyone else are out there, you know, trying to raise awareness and uh, trying to make a difference. Thank you so much for joining us on Reasonable Doubts and sharing your beautiful music. And I hope you continue to enjoy your time in North America on your tour. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission. <laughs>